Who in here has small children? When I say small, I mean like two and under. Just me, Hamlet. I guess that's it, huh? How many of you have had small children? Okay. Let me tell you one of my favorite small child things is when a very small child is trying to do something that you know they physically cannot do. <clears throat> Not too long ago, something of Aces fell down in the couch, like the full side, the three-seater couch. Uh, he had the idea he was going to flip it over so that he could get underneath there and get his, because he's seen us do that, flip it over. So he walks over and he grabs that couch and, I mean, everything he's got. Takes a breath. Then he looks up at me and he says this. I can't do it. Daddy, will you help me? Uh, yes. Yes, I will. Something about that feeling, something about that, 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 that cry out for help. And it wasn't, even, it wasn't like he was in pain and hurting. It was just a realization that I can't do this, but I bet daddy can. And then I actually even let him help me tip it over. I'm like, you want to help me? He's like, yeah. So we grabbed the back of it and he put his hands on it and we turned it over. Now, who turned it over? I did. But he did help me. He did help me. And how did we get to that point? We got to that point when he realized, I can't do it. Daddy, will you help me? Sure I will, son. I sure will. We are going to spend today hopefully reaching the point to where we look up and say, Daddy, can you help me? And in the same way that it was my joy and my power to help Asa, I believe it's God's joy and it's God's power that will help us as we wrap up. Again, I can't believe we've spent three weeks in this passage at the same time, I can't believe we're only spending three weeks in this passage. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6 one more time. As we talk about walking in the newness of the Spirit. If you would please stand as we read the scripture together and we stand because we respect a holy loving God who has chosen to reveal himself to us through the Bible. The Bible we believe is God's word, God speaking to us. So if the President of the United States walked in here and started talking, we'd show some respect, right? What about the God of the universe? He probably deserves a little respect. So let me read this. You can read along. It's up here. If you have a Bible, follow in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up here on the screen and you can follow along with us. Paul says to the Romans, chapter 7, starting in verse 1, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person 
only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Let me pray. God, that is a mouthful and a heartful and a headful of stuff right there. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, it would be clear to us today what you would have us to hear and know. We trust you. God, make our hearts believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Okay, so again, having already spent two weeks prior in this passage, if you haven't heard those messages, I'll try to catch you up as best I can um, because there's so much. I mean, I mean, it's six verses, and all of these messages are linked together. Actually, all of this book of Romans, and I've said it before, is just chain, chain link after chain link after chain link. One thought connects to another. We're referring back to chapter 3 this morning. I mean, it's just how Paul reasons. It's how the Holy Spirit has worked through Paul is that one thought builds upon another. So you don't have, you really don't have independent thoughts in a message. So what I'm going to try to do is try to catch you up to where we've been. Resurrection Sunday, then Scott spoke, and then last week. So last week in Resurrection Sunday, we had two messages on this passage, which covered a whole lot of ground. And we'll spend our third week. Let me tell you why. There are so many powerful truths contained in these six verses. Our dying to the law, our wedded relationship to Christ, how the law arouses our sinful passions, how sin bears fruit for death in us, resurrection power in us, and then what we looked at last week, which answered the question, Why do I have to die to the law as a Christian? We saw last week that we had to die to the law according to verse 6, so that, and that was the ultimate conclusion statement, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. So, if we don't die to the law, we can't serve in the new way of the Spirit we will continue to serve in the old way of the written code if we don't die to the law. But if we do die to the law, we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now, that leads me to the question that I hope to be able to address today, that I hope to be able to answer, because this is... I I felt really, really... I don't say this much. I felt really good about last week's message because I asked a question used the text, and answered that question, which was, why do we have to die to the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit? 
But that left me with another big question. And it is a big question. And that question is, what does it mean to serve in the new way of the Spirit? Because again, that could be a real spiritual cliche that we let roll off our tongue, but we don't know what we're saying. What does it mean to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code? What is serving? Who are we serving? How do we serve in the Spirit? Why shouldn't we serve in the old way of the written code? A lot of questions just out of that last statement. And I hope that you didn't leave here last week going, okay, yeah, but... Actually, I kind of hope you did leave that way. Like, okay, you answered a question, but you raised a whole lot of other questions. Listen, church, ask questions. Don't just read the Bible and go, okay. There is a call to faith, and we, we walk by faith and not by sight. But if the, if the Bible doesn't arouse questions in you, you're not reading it right. So ask questions. I hope you leave every week with a lot of questions. I hope you get some answered, but I hope it arouses new questions. That's what this thing called Christianity is all about. And we'll address that some today. So we'll try to get the gist of these questions, the ones I just asked, and tie this passage up, and maybe we'll move on to a different one next week. I think we will. So let's get started. What I'm going to focus on today... Let me recap verses 1 through 3. 1 through 3, Paul was giving us an analogy of a marriage and that people are bound together by the law of marriage how long? Till death do us part. So in verses 1 through 3, Paul is saying, as long as both partners are alive, if the woman goes and tries to marry another man or lives with another man, she's called an adulteress. But... If her husband dies, she is freed from that law of marriage and she's free to marry again. Okay? Is that pretty simple? We have any polygamists in here? We can talk about that later. Okay? It's pretty simple. One man, one woman in lifetime covenant together is marriage. No matter what the culture tries to tell you. One man, one woman, lifetime covenant. That's what 1 through 3 is about. And it's saying if the husband dies, she is free to marry and she won't be called an adulteress. And then he carries that analogy into verses 4 through 6 and says that we were bound to the law, the law of God. When I say the law, and again, it's easy to say that. And what is the law? The law is God's moral code telling us how we should operate. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, to use the king's English. And we were born bound to the law, and along with that, look at this. We shall review where we've been. The law condemns us, which is sin, the need for being right with God. Chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 20 of Romans told us that everybody, everybody, you, me, everybody, is bound to sin. And the law is what binds us to sin, so we're all born with sin, the need for being right with God. Section 2 was justification by faith, the means for being right with God. If you are going to get out of sin, if you're going to get out of trying to keep the law, there's only one way, and it's by justification, and we'll talk about that word in just a second, by faith, we put our faith in Jesus and who He was and what He did. That's the only way to be made right with God. 
Which brings us to our third point, which is blessings. And there are results, there are gifts, there are wonderful things that happen when we are right with God. And we're in chapter 7, so we're right in the middle of point 3. Now, so many of you all are familiar with this. We've called it Asian Station. And really what this is, this is the process that we've seen through the book of Romans of how God made us right with Him. And it's God's work, and we'll talk about that today a lot. The word expiation means that God took our sins away from us. What's that sign say above the door? Exit. Expiation means away from, exit, leave. So God takes our sin away from us in expiation. That's God's work. Propitiation is one of them 50 cent words, big long word. And what it means is the sins that He took off of us as believers, He put on Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross, He had my sins upon Himself. And what God did was God punished Him so that He could punish those sins. So propitiation is somebody taking my punishment in my place and that somebody was Jesus. Imputation means God did something to give us something and what He gave us was the perfect righteousness of Jesus. He took our sins away in expiation. He punished our sins in propitiation. And Jesus had never sinned. So God takes His righteousness, His goodness, and He gives it to us as a free gift, which is amazing. Which leads to a state of justification. Justification means I am right with God. I have the right to stand in God's presence because of what He's done by taking my sins away, punishing Jesus for those sins, and then giving me Jesus' obedience and righteousness so that I can stand in God's presence. And we just sang about it with that last song in our set. After we are justified, God begins the process of sanctification in us. We do not, do not, do not, have I said do not, earn our salvation through sanctification. We were made right with God in justification. After we're right with God, God starts to make us more like Jesus. That's the process of sanctification. He's sanctifying us, setting us apart more and more and more in our everyday behavior so that we are more like Jesus. And one day, we were saved before the foundation of the world. We have been saved. We are being saved. And one day we will be completely saved as believers. That is salvation. Asian station. And you know what common knowledge says? Common knowledge says you don't teach churches these big words. They can't understand it. And I say baloney. Baloney. I don't like baloney. Anyway. Union with Christ is the key to all of this. We have been made one with Christ. We have been crucified with Him. His experience became our experience when we placed our faith in Him. And that's tricky. So I come to God, I say I'm a sinner, I know I need forgiveness, I I know that forgiveness is found through the punishment that Jesus took upon Himself on the cross. You paid the penalty for my sins, I believe that, I trust that. In that moment, in that instant... We are made one with Christ. We are wed to Christ. And the two shall become one flesh is what marriage is all about. Two becoming one. So we are made one with Christ. That's union with Christ. And in that 
moment when we're made one with Him, what happened to Him happened to us. What was His experience becomes our experience. What is His experience becomes our experience. One with Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. That's what union with Christ is about. So, when we were joined to Christ, we have been crucified with Him. Jesus died on a cross almost 2,000 years ago. I want to live into the 3,000 so that I can say 3,000 years ago because everything's 2,000 years ago. So, Scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. So, when we were joined to Christ, His experience became our experience. So, we died on the cross with Him. We were raised and we will be raised with Him on the, on the last day. I won't get into that too much. So that we might walk in newness of life now. What happened in the past... What will happen in the future secures what happens right now. Now that's a lot of stuff. But that's where we've been. So, let me read 4 through 6 again. And then we'll get into what we're going to look at as far... Basically, verse 6 is going to be our focus. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. There's our union with Him our co-crucifixion with Him, so that you may belong to another, that's our being wed with Him, to Him who has been raised from the dead, that's our resurrection, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, before we were born again, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Nothing good coming out of that. But now, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, last week we saw a couple of specific things the law did. First, it was used by sin to arouse our sinful passions, which is bad. That's how sin misused the law and pitted it against us. We also saw that God intended for the law to be a tutor, T-U-T-O-R, a teacher that would lead us to Christ. And in order to be united with Christ, in order for us to be wed to Him, to be married to Him, we had to die to the law since we were held under the law's power before faith in Christ came. But Romans tells us that we died with Christ and in that death our bondage to the law was done away with and we were free to belong to Jesus. And all of this was so that up there in the third line, so that we might serve in newness of the Spirit as opposed to the old way of the written code. Now, why would God want that? Now, for a peek into that question, why would God want us to walk in newness of Spirit, in the, serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code? Why would God want that? He started paving that since before the foundation of the world. But there's a couple of Old Testament passages that we want to look at. And we have looked at these before, like I said, back in Romans 3. No, 3 and 4 actually. We referred to these. God in the Old Testament proclaimed that a new covenant was coming. We'll get into that in a second. Let me read the passages. This is God speaking. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Do you see how this really ties into Romans 7? 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now let's go to Ezekiel, which is just fun to say. Where's Zeke when you need him? Ezekiel. It's so much fun to say. Now, make sure I didn't put my... Okay, I'm, I'm going to read all the way. Okay, let me finish reading that. I'm sorry. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So that's the new covenant that's coming. Ezekiel, he refers to it in two places. Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20, And I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So we've seen that twice now. And then there's one more place in Ezekiel. We're going to look at two verses, 36, verses 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Now it sounds like the same passage, but it's not. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what we had before was the old covenant of the letter. Okay? These passages that we just looked at, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, form the backbone of God announcing that He would establish what we call the new covenant with His people. By the time of Jeremiah and Ezekiel writing their books, God's people had fallen on hard times. Okay? He had brought them out of Egypt a long time ago, and He had made a promise before that to Abraham saying, I'm going to give you this land for all generations. Well, they're in that land now, but they're a remnant of the people that they were, and they're in a small section of that land by the time of Jeremiah they're under siege by the Babylonians. Okay? And there's only like a tribe and a half left. Only a tribe and a half left of the twelve that had come out of Egypt. And here they are, and they're getting pounded by the Babylonians. They were under siege for years by the Babylonians. And then by the time of Ezekiel, they're actually, they had been conquered and they had been deported to Babylon. So here they are in exile. And why were they in exile? Jeremiah tells us in another place, it's because they failed to keep the law of God that God had given to Moses in between Abraham and this time we're talking about. He said, they broke my covenant. And God punished them for it. Then he said, but I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The nation of Judah, which had been the remnant of the 12 tribes of Israel that still remained in the promised land, was under siege by Babylon and would lead to their exile. Ezekiel wrote his entire book from the exile. These people who once had been God's crown jewel, he called them the apple of his eye, they were on display when they were that apple of his eye for the world to see his favor in their promised land were now prisoners of war in a land not their own. The covenant God had made with Abraham seemed like it was null and void. But 
If you remember, and this goes back to the Romans 3 and 4 thing, if you remember, and if you weren't here, God had made a covenant with the, the, the man, the single man, Abraham. And usually both parties of a covenant would walk through a blood path. They'd tear animals in half. That's fun, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Like seriously, they'd cut them in half. They'd let the blood drain down. And both parties would walk through the blood path as if to say, if I break this covenant, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Let their blood be my blood. When God made the covenant with Abraham, Abraham didn't pass through the pieces, but God passed through twice. And what God was saying was, when you break the covenant, I will pay the price for it. I will pour out my blood when you break the covenant. So they have broken the covenant. But if you remember, God had said to Abraham over a millennia before that, that when the Israelites broke his covenant, he would be the one that spilled his blood to make the covenant right. Here in these passages in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God explains what he would do in order to make a new covenant with his people. Notice that the focus moves from an external law code, which is what he had given Moses. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, a couple of you. Good. We actually looked at them last week, so... That was a summary of God's law for the Israelite people, His covenant people. It was a sign of His covenant. They broke that covenant, and so He moves away from an external code written on stone or written on tablets. In the new covenant, He's moving toward it being internal. Moves from an external law to an internal code. He says in Jeremiah that He will write the law on their hearts. And in Ezekiel, he says he will give them a new heart, removing the heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. And then that last verse in Ezekiel. Now get a hold of this because this sets the stage for everything we're going to talk about today. He makes this amazing statement. And I will put my spirit within you. I don't know how to, I don't know where the right emphasis should be in that. I, God says, will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Wow. Now, take that, put it in a pot, put it all together, and you've got a covenant. Listen, 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 listen. You've got a covenant that God makes with His people in which He places His law in their hearts and then... He places His Spirit in them so that they can obey that law. That's a pretty good deal, right? God's people break His covenant and then He makes a new covenant that is ensured success because He has planned it and He is the power behind its being fulfilled and kept. And as a side note, and I mentioned this before we sang... It would be great to read Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10 to help explain this a little bit more, the connection between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, what Jesus did. We don't have time for that today. But it would be real good homework to help solidify what we talk about today. So that was Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10. So it seems as if to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, tell me later, don't talk to me now, busy. 
So it seems as if God set out in His initial covenant with Abraham to make every provision for His covenant to fail and succeed. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Back in Romans 4, we talked about God's covenant with Abraham being shown to be God saying, when you break the covenant I'm making with you, it will be me that pays the penalty for the broken covenant. So God knew that Abraham and his descendants would fail to keep their end of the deal. He knew that his promises and his law that would come 430 years after his covenant with Abraham, the law would. We talked about that last week in Galatians 3. Like last week is behind me. I don't know why I do that. We talked about that last week. I always point to what I'm talking about. Home is that way. Anyway, we talked last week in Galatians 3 about God saying that He was going to establish a covenant 430 years later, make the law, and then do something different with us. So, the law that would come 430 years later would not be able to be kept. So why would God set it up that way? Why would He set a covenant up for failure? And the answer is so that we would see our need for a new covenant. So we could see our failings. So we could see our need for Christ. So the law given under the old covenant served a dual purpose. The first was to fail so that it could save, so that it would fail to save us and it was also given the purpose of succeeding in pointing us to Christ. Insufficient to save us, fully sufficient to point us to our need for Christ. And it did just that. But remember, God had made provision so that when we failed, He would make a way. And He did so by establishing this new covenant, which was His ultimate plan from the beginning. The old way of the written code was designed so that only its failure could bring its success. And it paved the way for the new covenant to be the way that God gets His glory. And here's the main reason for all the other reasons. God pointed out our inability through the old covenant and its law so that He could become the power of our success in the new covenant. Thou shalt not brought our failure and our ruin. That was the old covenant. That was the old way of the written code. But the new covenant is, I will place my law and my spirit in your new heart and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So who gets glory for that? God gets glory. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. What's the chief end of God? To glorify God. God exists for His own glory. If you've listened to John Piper for 30 seconds, you've heard that. God exists for His own glory. You say, well, doesn't God exist for me? No, He does not. God exists for His glory, and you exist for God's glory. Now, praise His name. We get to be included in His plan. But that's grace. That's not about making much of us. <clears throat> Who gets the glory for this new covenant? God does. <clears throat> so, we die to the law and thus our failing so that we may serve it in the new way of the Spirit. 
This is by God's design so that He gets the glory for it all. Okay, so that's a positive step. But it still doesn't really answer the question, okay, so how do I serve in the new way of the Spirit? I don't know about you, but I can say all day long that God did what God did so that God gets glory for what God did. Even though it's kind of hard to say that. And I can say amen to that. But what good is that to me when I'm wrestling with myself, when I'm wrestling with sin every day? And I'm feeling like a failure every day. Where is this new way of the Spirit? Because it's supposed to deliver me from bondage to the law, but I really still feel like I'm in bondage to the law. I really feel like I'm in bondage to sin. Yeah, Paul, you tell me that I'm dead to sin and that I'm dead to the law. Why don't I feel it? Why do I still feel like a miserable failure? I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way most days. What is my role in serving in the new way of the Spirit? And I'll ask the question we probably shouldn't ask. What do I have to do to walk in the new way of the Spirit? I get the why, but what about the how? Now let me just say, the rest of the book of Romans will have a lot to say about this. So we're not going to answer every question today, but let's do some early work here and see what the Bible says about how we are to serve in the new way of the Spirit. First, we've got to address the word serve. What did Bob Dylan say? You've got to serve somebody. And it's true, right? Everybody is serving somebody. One way or another, you are serving somebody. And the word serve means to obey, to submit to. In a positive sense, it means to yield obedience. So if I'm serving someone, I'm yielding what I want and obeying what they want. That's what serving is. So let's be clear. That verse 6 of Romans 7 is saying that you were released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. That's very important. You weren't released from the law so you can do whatever, whenever, whyever you want to. You were released from the law so that you would serve, submit to, yield obedience to someone else. And that someone is spelled with a capital S. But so is the Spirit that is the new way in which we serve. We are saved in order that we might serve God. But we are also saved so that God is the one that empowers our serving. So what does that serving look like? How do we do it? We'll spend a lot of time in the rest of Romans talking about that, and there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that we could look at in order to see what this service looks like and to see how we serve. Um, But I want to look at one in particular today, and you guys that have been around a long time, We'll be familiar with this passage, but I think it gives us a good look at the big picture of serving. If you have your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 3. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It just sounds like I'm speaking in tongues, doesn't it? I think it's awesome. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. <laughs> But I'm not. (laughs) 
Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read 17 verses. You with me on that? We're going to read it, and then I'm going to quickly point out some things out of it. And what I want you to look for is, what does it look like? How do we serve? What does our service look like? Okay, what have I got to do? If then you have been raised with Christ, wow, that sounds like Romans, right? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We sang it. We've talked about it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, uh, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Come on. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's what we finished with last week, by the way. That was the application point. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Click. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, that is a lot of stuff, okay? What I want to do is I'm going to kind of popcorn that. If you've got your Bibles in front of you, keep your eyes on your Bibles. I'm not going to be able to do it up here. Okay, If you don't have a Bible, I'm sorry, just engage with me mentally here. What I want to do is go through and read some of these imperatives, these commands out of, this, out of these 17 verses so that you can see what you have to do to serve in the new way of the Spirit, what it looks like. Okay, I'm going to read them all off. I've got them highlighted up here. And then I want to talk about something real quick after that. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, do that. Christian, you pathetic worm, you piece of junk. If you're not doing all this, you're not even saved. If you can't do this, there's something wrong with you. You need to go home and you need to confess your sins. You need to get in your closet and you need to be real sorry in front of God because if you're not, I don't even think you're saved anymore. You need to do better. I'm going to read them again. This is what you should be doing if you're walking in the new way of the Spirit. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Put off the old self with its practices. Put on the new self. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. Forgive each other. And above all these, put on love and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'm like, seriously? Seriously, that's what I've got to do? And God says, yep, that's what you've got to do. Hmm. Maybe I didn't read the fine print in the contract well enough because, hmm. Let me ask you a question. Can you do those things? I might... Anybody ever hear, hear of Earl Thomas Conley? Anybody in this room ever hear of Earl Thomas Conley? He's a country singer. Okay. He's got a song called Once in a Blue Moon. And he's saying, man, I fail, I fail my wife every day. I do this, I do that. And then the chorus is, but once in a blue moon, I do something right. That's how I feel in my Christian life. Anybody, can I get an amen there? And all the people said, Amen, right? God, why do I feel like such a failure? Why do I feel like I can't do this? Hmm. How? How do I do all these wonderful Christian things? In the new way of the Spirit. Let me say something that I've said before standing here. Christianity is a supernatural religion. Christianity is not you picking yourself up by your bootstraps and trying to do better to earn God's favor. Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts that you have to keep in order to make sure God is happy with you. It's supernatural. The whole point of serving in the new way of the Spirit is that God is the one who is doing it. Remember, we mentioned the new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that God said He would give us a new heart. He would put His law in our hearts and He would put His Spirit in us so that we would be careful to do His law. Remember last week we talked about the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit is the result, the effect of internal life overflowing 
to produce what would not have been there otherwise. The tree, the vine, has too much sap in it, too much life in it, so fruit is produced. It's too much life. It can't contain it, so fruit happens. That is what serving in the new way of the Spirit is all about. It's about overflowing life. And as we, in the power and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, seek the things above, as we set our minds on Christ, as we put on love, as we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, as we let the Word of Christ rule in our hearts, and as we do what we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, we start to see the fruit of the Spirit as the overflow of our lives. It is about fruit from within, not works that come from an outside striving. And here's the main issue for all of it. Serving in the new way of the Spirit is about one thing. Trusting, not trying. Remember back when we talked about presenting our members to God? Actually, Andrew had that message. Like, no, I don't remember. Well, we were. We did that. We did. Some of you weren't here. I wasn't here. Presenting our members to God. And then the next week I came in and I said that that happens in four steps and we had paved the way for it. Andrew brought it up and then I finished the thought. Those four steps in presenting our members were knowing... Believing, reckoning, and doing. Knowing, believing, reckoning, doing. We have to know, church, listen, to walk in the new way of the Spirit, we have to know that we have the Spirit. God's Spirit inside of us to be our power source. We have to believe it, which means we have to trust God that what He said is true and that it's true for us if we've placed our faith in Jesus for our salvation. Then we need to reckon it into our accounts. Again, there's the King's English again. Reckon. Make the entry. Write it down. You've made the deposit into your account. Write it in your ledger so that when you use your debit card, you know that it's there. That's what reckoning is all about. And when you make this entry into your account, the righteousness of God, the very Spirit of God within me, I want you to write it in permanent marker. I want it to be over everything else you write in your journal. The Spirit of God given to me to be my power source. Know it, believe it, reckon it. And then we start to do all of it. We start to do all of that stuff that we saw in Colossians 3. We know, we believe, we reckon, and we do. And it's all built around trust in who God is and what God said He would do in and through us. The law was powerless to enable us to keep its commands. The external code of do's and don'ts could not help us do what they said we should and shouldn't do. Not so with the new way of the Spirit. God commands and God empowers. 
I believe it was Spurgeon that wrote the short verse that sums this up well. Do this and live, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Yes. Yes. The wings referred to in this poem are the very Spirit of God. We are told to fly, but we're also provided with wings more powerful than anything we can think or imagine. And the wind that those wings catch are the very power, the very breath of God Himself. Now, here's some really good news on top of that. Through the rest of Romans 7... We're going to see how this shakes out in everyday life. We'll see Paul speaking of how he fails and falls on a consistent basis. And he reaches the climax at the end of chapter 7. This is what he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. The same Paul who's telling us this now and then cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, starts chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. <laughs> oh, So we'll get to Romans 8 and see what may be the best news in the world for a Christian. But for now, let me encourage you with these three application points from our conclusion of Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. First and foremost, stop trying... Start trusting. Stop trying to please God. Listen, God is pleased in Christ. Jesus Christ pleased God perfectly. So stop trying to please God and start trusting that God is pleased with you in Christ. I think we could empty the psych ward if people got a hold of that truth. Stop trying, start trusting. That's first and foremost. Second, stop working, start looking for fruit. Stop trying to do what you think you should try to do. Stop doing what you can do. And as you are trusting, you've stopped trying, you've started trusting, stop working for God. Now take that statement out of context. Stop working for God And as you trust the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do, start looking for fruit in your life. Because it will happen. I trust you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do. Fruit. And we saw last week in Galatians, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when your life starts to be characterized and you see a little peace where you didn't see it before. You're you're gentle in a place where you weren't gentle before. It's not you gritting your teeth and trying to do it. It's the Spirit doing it through you. Ah, rest. That's why Jesus would say in John 15, Abide in me, just as the vine 
Just as the branches can't bear fruit apart from the vine, nor can you do anything apart from me. Rest in Jesus, trust in the Spirit, and then start looking for fruit. Stop trying, start trusting, stop working, start looking for fruit. And finally, listen to me, church, listen to me, Christian. Stop disqualifying yourself for service. And start serving in God's power. Because this is what I hear from so many Christians. Yeah, but I've done this in my past. Or you don't know, you just don't know where I've been or what I've done. Listen, you are not disqualified from serving God. If you'll remember, I think maybe the single most impacting thought that I've seen in the book of Romans is that our body of sin has been done away with. Every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will ever commit is covered by the blood of Jesus. Now there may be an office, there may be a position in the church that you're not eligible for because of certain things. That's true. But it in no way, no matter what you did, in no way does it disqualify you for service. You were saved. You were reborn in order to serve in the new way of the Spirit. So stop saying, well, there's really nothing I can do because I have got this in my past. I was a drug addict. I cheated on my wife or I'm addicted to pornography or all these things do not disqualify you from service. So stop disqualifying yourself for service and start serving in God's power, knowing God's favor. Stop trying, start trusting. Stop working, start looking for fruit. Stop disqualifying yourself for service. Start serving in God's power. Listen, we are all the two-year-old trying to turn the couch over. We cannot do it. But the second we look up and say, Daddy, will you help me? He says, I sure will. I sure will. Do this and live, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. Let's pray. God, the only way that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit is if your Spirit, whom you have caused to live in us, does it. We are not passive onlookers. We are active participants with you. You have chosen to show your glory through us. And you have chosen to be the very power that enables us to show your glory. The old way of the written code was designed to fail so that we would see our need of you doing what only you can do. Not a demand of the law, but empowerment of the Spirit. You bid us fly, and by the power of your Spirit, you give us wings. And I am so thankful for your perfect plan. As for this God, His way is perfect. So we trust you.
to do what only you can do. That is our part. Trusting you. And this morning, God, if there are those who do not know you, the gospel is simply this. We are all born sinners and we need forgiveness for sins. We need reconciliation so that we might walk in newness of spirit. And that reconciliation is found at the cross of Jesus Christ who was born as a human yet was fully God, who lived a sinless life and then died on a cross to take the punishment for my sin, for our sins, so that we can have forgiveness. He was crucified, buried, dead, and He was resurrected, and He ascended into heaven and now sits there reigning and ruling. And if we will place our faith in Him, we will be born again. We will have new life. So convict us all of our sins and show us the competency of Jesus Christ to save us and then show us, God, the complete, perfect power of your Holy Spirit to live this Christian life in us and through us. We trust in you and we look for fruit so that we might serve in your power. Help us, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We just stand and receive a benediction so that we can eat that great smelling food that is like wearing my old factories out. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.